Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Craig Hartraft with Prudential Home Cell Service Group in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Last year, he closed 264 transactions with a total sales volume of $54 million. His average sales price was 207000 of which 51% were buyers and 49% were sellers. He operates a team with 11 members, one contract manager, office manager, one listing manager, one lead coordinator, administrative assistant, four buyer specialists, one listing partner, one all-around agent, one part-time courier, and one team leader. Craig Hartraft is the team leader of the Craig Hartraft team. He has been an agent for 23 years. In this call, Craig talks about starting as a part-time agent and selling one home in six months, how he sold 27 homes in his first full year as a full-time agent, 39 homes in his second year, and 123 homes by his fifth year. Shadowing Alan Dom Geographic Farming for Optimum Success Internet Lead Generation and Follow-Up Radio Advertising for Seller Leads Repeat and Referrals from Past Clients and Sphere of Influence Giveaways to Get in Front of Your Past Clients Scripts for calling your past clients, even if it's been a long time. His B-list for sellers. Pre-inspections and the dialogues to make it work. Trial listings for sellers who are not ready for the MLS. Team structure, profitability, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Craig. Well, thank you for having me. Before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I was actually a Lancaster City police officer, and prior to that, I was in the United States Air Force as a police officer. How long were you in each of those positions? Well, I joined the military back in 1984. I was a police officer in the military for four years. I was in England, uh, and then I was transferred to Maryland at Andrews Air Force Base for presidential support. When I got out of there, I became a, a police officer, full-time police officer in downtown Lancaster City. How long were you a police officer? I was a police officer for around a, a one and a half years, and after my first year, that's when I started dabbling into real estate. I was a part-time realtor for six months, and then I came home one day, and I only sold one home in those six months, and my wife said, I think you should quit, and I was assuming she meant 
being a realtor, and she said, no, I want you to quit being a police officer and try this uh, real estate business full-time because she knew my work ethic and my sales manager at the time was urging her to have me quit being a police officer. Was that a difficult decision? It was. It was. Now, we had no children, and my wife was working, but uh, we still had a limited income. But again, uh, my wife believed in me, and we just uh, took the chance, and it worked out. Why did you decide to get into real estate six months earlier? Well, when I was growing up, there was a gentleman in our community that I really looked up to, and he was a realtor, and he just, I just looked up to him and said, well, if he's a realtor, I'd like to be just like him. And it was always in the back of my mind, and I had some financial goals, and as a police officer, I knew I wouldn't be able to obtain those financial goals and have the freedom of a schedule. So uh, when I had the opportunity took advantage of it. Now, I couldn't afford the real estate classes, so uh, there was a special project downtown where they need off-duty police officers to direct traffic, and they would do that after hours, and it was middle of the winter, and no one wanted to do it, so I took all the hours and was earning $10 an hour cash. I earned enough money to uh, get my real estate license. Once you went full-time, did you have a fast start or a slow start? Well, my first full year was back in 1990, and I sold 27 homes the first year. And then the second year, I went up to 39 homes. And then by 1995, I was up to 123 homes, closed a year. Wow, so that's pretty quick. Yeah, did a lot of open houses. What do you attribute that fast start to? Well, I had a good uh, mentor. They assigned a trainer with me, and uh, she was very direct with me. When I was lazy, she told me I was lazy, and when I was working hard, she told me I was working hard. And I was very fortunate. Our broker was a big listing agent for builders, so I had the opportunity to sit open houses every week. And every week I would sit in the open houses, and I was very aggressive with the for sale by owners and the expireds. So I just and did the old cold calling. So I had the work ethic, and I just did the open houses. And because I didn't have no money to market, I just focused on those sources. How long have you been in the business? Well, I got in the business in 1990 full-time, and in 1989 was a part-time for six months. So that's about 23 years? 23 years. I can't believe it. And how many homes did you sell last year? Last year we sold 264 homes, a little bit over $54 million in volume. That's fantastic. So you probably broke the seven-figure mark in your GCI. Yes, we did. Yes, we did the very first time. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Where is Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Lancaster, Pennsylvania is an hour and a half northwest of Philadelphia. It's uh, 40 minutes uh, south of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, if you ever heard of Harrisburg. It's right in the middle of the Amish country. If your listeners ever saw the movie uh, Witness, that was filmed here in Lancaster County. Wow, do you have a, a lot of Amish customers? We're asked that quite a bit, no. Uh, most of the Amish will sell within their community or uh, public auctions is where they do most of their business. Describe your current real estate market. What's the average price, type of homes? You know, what's happening in the market? Average sales price in Lancaster County is 185000 For 185000 you can still get a single home, two-story, three-bedroom with a one-car garage. Uh, you get newer townhouses for that also. Um, the population I serve in Lancaster County is around 500,000. My niche market that I do most of my farming is a school district called Mannheim Township, 
and that has around 10 to 12,000 um, homeowners. What is the pricing trend there? Is it is it going up? Is it falling down? Is it flat? Well, Lancaster County, during the good times, we uh, had slow appreciation, and during the bad times, we had somewhat slow depreciation. So we may have um, lost 20 to 30% depreciation here in the past uh, five years. We finally have uh, leveled out. I believe we're not going to be sinking any lo- longer, but it will take us a while to come back. We typically will appreciate 1% to 3% a year. Craig, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? Yeah, my niche started back in 1997. I focused on this one particular school district called Mam Township on my postcard mailings. And um, I live in Mam Township. My kids went to school in Mam Township, and my office is in Mam Township. Uh, after shadowing Allen Dom in Philadelphia, I learned with a little niche marketing, I started focusing on the, that community with uh, my mailings. Wow, that's phenomenal. So you shadowed Alan Dom. Yeah, I met Alan Dom at a Star Power event, and uh, I think most of your listeners are aware of him, and I went down and shadowed him for the day, and he focuses on high-rise condominiums, and we don't have that here in Lancaster. So I took that concept and just transferred it into a school district, and I tried to uh, do the same thing he was doing down there. Do you remember any of the major principles you had learned from that shadow program? Yes, it was... um, delegation and phone calls he was always focused on dollar productive phone calls his goal was always to do a hundred calls a day Uh, I don't go to a hundred calls a day but my goal is to spend at least a good two hours on the phone prospecting uh, to future clients talking to past clients that's one thing I really got out of it so you came back and you went to apply that to your market you picked the school district you said you start to send out some postcards. I want to get into that marketing in detail in a minute, but before we do, I just want to kind of list out what you're doing in a big picture. So first, you have farming. Are there any other niches or specializations or ways that you're generating business? Well, then our second one that started probably three years ago, we do uh, internet marketing and we do use a service called Boomtown, and we've been using them for now um, three years. So that is, uh, has really provided a lot of results for us. I think you also have a pretty heavy program in past clients, sphere of influence, repeat and referral. Is that correct? Yes. We uh, send uh, mailers to our past clients with a giveaway every other month. Plus, we're calling them on the anniversary of their settlement date. And then we're also calling them on their birthdays. So uh, we stay in touch with our past clients quite a bit. Before I go into what you're doing, I always have kind of a conical question for people. What has been your worst marketing method, and what happened? Probably our worst marketing method was the grocery carts. <laughs> we had someone say, you got to go in this grocery store and uh, do some advertising on the grocery carts and didn't get $1 return. So I guess uh, I take a little bit more time to think something out before I commit to it. How long were you on the carts? I was probably on the cards for six months to a year, and I, I had no results, no results whatsoever. Well, that was a lesson. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Let's go through the different ways that you're bringing in business. Let's go back and now talk about your farming and, and get real specific in what you're doing there. First of all, you started to go into it, but how did you pick your farm? 
Well, we were looking for a sales price that we liked. We looked for an area where there's a lot of activity. And when people are relocating in, this is one of the uh, top school districts in the county. So a lot of people were moving in and a lot of people were being transferred out. So we liked that. The days on market was less than some other areas, and it was just convenient. I go on a listing appointment, I'm going. To, I'm driving less than 5, 10 minutes away instead of traveling 30, 35 minutes across the county. How big is your farm today? Right now our farm is that we market to is between t- around 10,000 households. When you first started back in 97, were you marketing to all 10,000 or did you start with a smaller subset? I started with a smaller subset and then I just progressed and progressed. And now out of that 10,000, I may f- focus probably somewhere between seven, seven to 9,000. Do you recall how big the farm was originally? I think we started, it was probably around 2,000. So it was, I was pretty aggressive when I first started. So I would say it was around 2,000. Do you think that there's any size that's too small or too big for a farm? No, I don't. I think the key thing to the farm is commitment and being consistent. I think where I made mistakes before, and I see so many other realtors make the biggest mistake, is they go in, and if they don't see results of the first couple mailings, they stop. And you really have to treat this like a business and invest it and wait for the return. So it took us, it took us a good year to see a return. But again, I spoke to enough veteran realtors that I saw their success, so I was willing to invest that money and have that commitment to hang in there. How often do you want to contact your farm, either during a month or a year? What we do right now is we will do a mailer every other month right now to the farm. A lot of times we're offering a free computerized market evaluation, and now we have an online a website where they can pull up their own market analysis so we're starting to send that information out. Every six months, we'll give them a market overview where we're showing the addresses, the prices of the homes that sold in that area. And that has great shelf life. Like, for example, we're doing this interview in February 2013. We just sent out less than a week and a half ago of the activity for 2012. So people really like to know what their neighbor's home sold for. It's alphabetical, so they can go right to the address they're looking for. And that has been really helpful. It sounds to me like you're trying to contact them eight times a year. Yeah, we're trying to contact them eight times a year. Also, on top of that, when we do list a property in, the, in our farm area, we will send out just listed postcard to the neighborhood. When the property goes under contract, we'll send an under contract postcard. And then when the property settles, we'll send a sold postcard. So we're making three attempts each listing we have in the neighborhood. Now, I will only do the just listed under contract and sold postcards in my farm area. If I'm outside my farm area, I will not do that. When you send out these just listed under contract and just sold postcards, how many are you sending at a time? It depends on the the size of the community. Typically, it ranges from anywhere from 100 to 300. Do you print up all the cards at once and then use a rubber stamp to indicate that the status has changed, or do you print up cards at three separate times? We're using a company, and, oh, Mike, I can ask my secretary. I think it's Express Copies. We use this company where we'll just do everything online. They will ship it out for us. Oh, so they're doing the, the bulk mail as well? Yep, they're doing everything. It's 
very simple for our office. They just go online, prepare the postcard, and hit launch, and we forget about it, and they take care of it. Could you give us any contact information there? It's expresscopy.com that we use. Ah, very good. Do you know how much approximately it's costing per postcard to send out? With postage, it's 86 cents per card. Not bad for a small batch. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's a, it's a small batch. It's only 100, 200, 300 at a time. When you send those just listed, just sold, under contract postcards, are, are you getting a, a quick response back from the market? We are now. Again, it takes a while, but we've been doing it since 1997. So it's a good way for people to raise their hand when they have a question, and uh, it's just been very helpful. What type of call to action do you have on that postcard? Well, we ask them to visit our website to look for additional properties. We'll call, ask them to call us for a free market evaluation, or if they're thinking of selling, we're asking them to give us a call. Okay, so you're giving a, a couple different options. One, you're sending them to your website to look at new homes, new listings as a buyer. Two, you're sending them to your website to get a free CMA as a seller. And three, you're saying, hey, if you're ready to go, give me a call right now. Yep. And that's all on that postcard. Yes. Is it a small postcard or a jumbo postcard? The jumbo postcard and it really has a, glo- a very glossy finish to it. It's really a nice high-end touch. And we do include, when we're doing our just solds, just listings, just under contracts, we always have the picture of the house that we're talking about. And if we have success with the property, we'll, we'll brag about how many days it took us to sell or list price versus sales price ratio also. To point out your distinction between you and the market, positioning yourself in your farm. We're really not positioning ourselves. It's just being consistent with the message. And again, being consistent with that message and just staying in touch with them. Now, in the very beginning, when my kids were small, in the farm, I always had pictures with my small children. Uh, Now, my children are 20 and 22 now. And uh, I was still using their uh, pictures when they were 8 and 10 up to just two or three years ago. And now my youngest son just got into business. So I had to stop using those pictures. So your youngest son is working with you now? He just got his license the other day, so he's starting out. That's fantastic. You mentioned that you're sending out a free CMA piece every other month. What exactly is that piece? Is it a postcard? Is it a letter? What is going out? That will be on the same type of postcard I sent out to my farm, and it will just say if you're looking for the value of your home or be updated on the values of your community, visit this website. And I use RealPro with the RealPro website where it will be a landing page and then uh, that will be transferred to another website where they can just go on and check out the value of their property. And the CMA portion, you said they're being transferred to another website. Is is that part of RealPro or is that a secondary website? It's a secondary website that RealPro offers. I don't know the exact site, but I go through RealPro to do that. Okay, so it's still part of their system. Yep. And that's generating leads for you? Oh, yes. We uh, just started another one here recently. And um, with the mailer, I bet we probably had a half a dozen inquiries right away. And again, those postcards are just starting to go out. So um, we'll have several, probably I'm expecting, hopefully another 10 to 20 come in that way. Are you doing anything else in your farm to, to get yourself out there and known? Are you knocking on doors or making phone calls? 
Years ago, I would actually make phone calls to neighborhoods, but now with me being so busy, I don't have time to do that. But what's interesting, the one community in Mam Township called Bloomingdale had around 350 homes, and that's my number one community where I will probably get an average of between six to ten listings out of that community, and I start just cold calling and asking if they had a real estate need or had any general questions. And if they didn't, I still sent them a business card, and I just followed up and stayed in touch with them once a year. And to this day, we're getting a lot of business out of that neighborhood. Let's talk about results. You've got this farm. It's approximately 10,000 households. You're, You're making around eight contacts a year plus some extra. What are the results out of this effort? How many listings or how many sales do you anticipate or how many have you been receiving? We will, last year in 2012, we closed over 50 transactions from the farm. Do you try to brand yourself somehow as the area expert? Well, I'm branding myself as the Mannheim Township Specialist, yes. And that's part of the message too, saying for your real estate needs in Mannheim Township, contact the Mannheim Township Specialist. So you are tying yourself into that area, into that farm? Yes. Are all the materials that you mail out to your farm branded? Are any of them unbranded or what they call stealth? No, they're all branded, and they will have the Craig Hart Raft team logo on it with our Prudential Company's logo also. And there will always be a picture of myself on the postcard. Do you own the Prudential franchise? I do not. Um, I'm very blessed to be with a company that's a very pro-team I'm just one of the agents there that allow me to have my team among them. If one of the folks listening to us today was thinking about starting up a farm, what advice would you give them? Be committed. And when I say be committed, I mean hang in there for at least two years. Um, You're not going to see results immediately. And look at your budget and take that consideration when you're saying, okay, I'm going to be looking for a a long-term commitment of two years. In the very beginning, I would suggest uh, contacting them at least once a month. I've backed off it because of me doing it so long, uh, but in the very beginning, I was doing it monthly. Do you have any plans to grow your farm any larger? Right now, we do not. We're still, I think 10,000 is a good size that we're going to keep on focusing on that. There may be a nearby uh, farm area with the same zip code. Sometimes we'll, we'll branch out to that, but majority of the time we'll focus uh, strictly in Mam Township. You mentioned also that another source of business for you is internet leads and marketing from Boomtown. Could you tell us a little more about how that's working with Boomtown? Yeah, we started that three years ago. A good uh, realtor friend of mine, Chip Collins down in Hilton Head, South Carolina, recommended this website. The company's out of Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, it's just been working tremendously for us where it's the IDX uh, type of website. It's very sticky. The people like to return back to it. And uh, the dashboard um, on the other side of the site for the agents to use, a great accountability, a great um, drip campaign. It's just a really good website. Are you directing leads to the Boomtown site, or are they pulling in leads? Both. Again, when our farming postcard will advertise the website's LancasterHome.com, or in our area, we'll say ManheimTWP.com, and that gets forward to our LancasterHome.com website. 
So we're pushing uh, uh, leads from there, from our postcards, but then we're doing pay-per-click also through uh, Boomtown. So the way that a lot of these leads are coming in is through pay-per-click. Where are you advertising to generate those leads? Well, Boomtown will manage our pay-per-click with Google and HomeGain. Those are the two main ones that they are doing the uh, pay-per-click. And you said that Boomtown is managing that for you, so you don't have to worry about writing up the ads or placement. Nope, they take care of it. How do you get involved then? You just write the check at the end of the month? Yep, they uh, ask us the budget we want, and uh, they recommend the budget, and then we'll just proceed that way. How do you track it to make sure you're getting your money's worth? We... uh, have a metric system that we're following the leads whenever uh, um, we close a lead we will always anytime we're talking to a lead we always ask them the source again that's probably the best advice i could give your listeners you must track your leads you got to make sure you're getting the dollar return so we're always asking our leads where they're coming in at and of course boomtown we know where they're coming in at due to the reason they're on the website so we're tracking when they come in, and then the most important one is we're tracking them when they settle. Uh, so, again, we know down to the uh, number how many properties have settled through that website. Is the Boomtown site bringing in mainly buyers or sellers? I was pleasantly surprised. I would say it's 90% buyers, but I wasn't expecting 10% sellers. So, yes, there is, there's 10%, and that seems like that's growing also. Have you been able to gain a metric such as it's costing you X amount per lead or X amount per closing when you're going through Boomtown? I have not, no. I just looked at my total total dollar investment per year and the return I got for the year, and it's very profitable. Do you remember the ratio? Is it like two for one or three for one or ten for one? I don't know that offhand. I don't want to mislead you, Uh, but... Again, I know it's very profitable that uh, we'll keep continue doing it. Do you know how many leads you're bringing in per month on Boomtown? Yeah, Boomtown, we're probably averaging around 250 to 300 leads a month. And do you know what your budget is per month with them? Yeah, we're spending approximately $500 with Google and $500 with HomeGain. Oh, you split it? Yes. So it's, it looks to me off the bat that each lead is costing you about 3 to $4. Yep. What have been the results? If you were to look back over the year, how many closings came from Boomtown? Boomtown, I'm looking here on my site here. Boomtown, we had 50, uh, 50 closings. Not bad. So uh, $12,000 investment over the year resulted in 50 closings? Yep. And I think you should do that again. <laughs> We plan to. We plan to. Just to clarify, the Boomtown leads, when they're coming in, they're going to a Boomtown website. They're not being redirected to, say, RealPro. Correct. Correct. Okay. When people go into the Boomtown site, is it branded with your name and face all over the place, or is it more unbranded? If they go in there for the agent information, then it's branded to my face. But uh, this, the page is ba- basically, we have a lot of covered bridges in this area. So we have a picture of a nice covered bridge of Lancaster County, a little uh, flare for Lancaster County, and then um, we have our logo. Uh, but I do not have my picture on it in the front page, no. So you're promoting the area? Yes. You mentioned that Boomtown has a nice system in the background, uh, you call it a dashboard. I assume this is a contact management system where 
the leads are coming in, you're able to check out the leads, organize them, and you also mentioned follow-up programs. Describe for us what's happening with the follow-up program. Well, if someone's only giving us the email address and not their phone number, and they haven't been responding immediately, what we will put them in is a variety of different type of drip email campaigns. And we'll launch that, and that email campaign will go out. I think it's once a week a different message comes from us. It's personalized to that individual. And what's nice about it, some of those people will never respond, and all of a sudden, six months from there, Six, from, six months from then, all of a sudden they raise their hand and they are asking for more information. Uh, so that's one way we stay in touch with them, with uh, the back end. So it's capturing them early in the process. Yes, we can see what, we can see how, what time they came on the site last, what are their favorites, what time of day they were on, what's their average sales price. So when our buyer's agents are making the call back to them, they have some information already knowing what neighborhood they're looking at. Are you doing any other type of internet marketing? The only other internet marketing we're doing is, as I mentioned to you before, using RealPro's website with the pricing website. And again, uh, we don't do no pay-per-click with that. We're just doing that with our mailings and attracting the people to go on that website uh, by uh, the postcards. So it kind of sounds like, in a generic sense, that Boomtown is bringing in your buyers, and RealPro is where you're directing your sellers. That's correct. Are you doing anything with uh, social media? We are not. Uh, we do have a company page, but we could do a much better job on that. That is a goal uh, for us to be more aggressive with that. Uh, but at this point, we're not. We're just posting our listings, and uh, but we're not. We're not being consistent with that. Sounds like a project for your son. true let's do this let's switch gears let's talk about your past client sphere of influence your repeat and referral business if i understood correctly if i added that all up together it was about a third of your business last year yes let's get into the details there how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence the ones that we stay in touch with is approximately around 1500 we will not mail to our clients that move outside the area. We'll just stay with the ones that are local. So we have approximately 1,500 uh, that we will mail to and stay in touch with. Do you know approximately how that breaks out? How many of those folks are past clients? How many are sphere of influence? I would say probably 95% of them are past clients. Only less than 5% would be sphere of influence. How do you decide who goes into the database? Well, we basically put anyone in the database that's staying in the area and that we have a good relationship with. They're going to stay in that database, and we're going to continue to stay in touch with them. Do you ever remove people for any reason other than moving away? No, unless they ask to be, and very few do. It sounds to me like you've kept this part of the database very separate from your general leads that are coming in, say, through the Internet or even through the farm. Correct. Correct. So they're, they're not even in the same database. They're completely separate. They're in the same database. We just have them coded differently. Well, let me ask the other question then. How many general leads do you have? General leads in our database, I want to say it's uh, over 20,000. Wow. Okay. And those are mainly sitting over in either RealPro or Boomtown? Those 20,000 are still in agent office that we're using. 
And again, they may be inactive leads, but we keep everyone in agent office. I mean, we really use that calendar heavily where we're staying in touch with those people for a variety of different reasons. We probably have around over 20,000. Even the people that move outside the area, we may not uh, mail to them, but we'll, we'll still stay in touch with them once a year. So you have a bunch of different marketing programs, schedules that go out depending on the type of lead or the source of the lead. Yes. That was one of my questions was the software. So you're currently using Agent Office to track all of your leads. Yes. When uh, that person turns into a viable lead, they will be put in Agent Office with a follow-up schedule. And the accumulation of all those leads over 20-some years is now 20,000 leads. (laughs) Yes. That's amazing. Very good. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with these folks. Let's go back now. Let's narrow it back down to the 1,500 past clients of Sphere of Influence. That's generating a lot of business for you. Let's talk about that. How do you stay in touch with those folks? What are you doing throughout the course of the year? Well, again, we'll make a phone call to them on their birthdays. We'll make a call on the anniversary date of their settlement. We will also send them a postcard every other month with a giveaway. For example, one month we did an iPod. Uh, another month we had tickets to Hershey Park. We're close to Hershey Park, only 40 minutes away, so they could uh, do a drawing. We did a drawing for a restaurant. Uh, so we do a different type of drawing every other month. And what's nice about that, they're sending their information for their drawing, and they're giving us their updated email address. They're giving us updated phone numbers so we can update our database that way. Let's break out each of those. So you're making a phone call on their birthday. What does that conversation go like? Are you usually getting their voicemail? Are you talking to them? And what are you saying? I just say, hello, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Sauer. This is Craig Hartrayaf calling. Always like to stay in touch with our past clients. I took notes today on my calendar. Today's your birthday. I just wanted to take this time out and just wish you a happy birthday hope you have a special day. I hope you have a, a great year to, in 2013. And then I hang up. I don't ever ask for business on their birthday. And then if they're on the phone, I just share with them saying, just wanted to check in with you. And I took notice it was your birthday. And they usually laugh. I mean, some of these people I've been staying in touch with for the last 15 years. So they'll giggle. They'll know why I'm calling. Or the wife will answer and she says, oh, Howard, Craig's on the phone. Or I'll see them in the restaurant, and they'll always come up to my wife and say, you know what, he has not missed my birthday for the last 10 or 12 years. So it, it means a lot to these people. When you're making those calls, what percentage of the time do you think you're getting voicemail versus actually talking with the individual? I would say probably 60% of the time voicemail, 40% I actually speak to someone. You mentioned you're also making a call out on their anniversary date the anniversary of when they purchased their home. Could you tell us how that call goes? What's that script sound like? Yeah, Miss Mrs. Sauer, this is Craig Hartraff calling with the Craig Hartraff team. I just wanted to check in. I saw today it's been now 10 years since you purchased your home. Congratulations. Hope everything's going well. If you have any general real estate questions or needs, or if you know someone that's thinking about buying or selling, please give us a call. And if you want to stay current with the real estate market, visit our website, LancasterHome.com, one word, LancasterHome.com. I hope you have a great day. I wish you the best here in 2013. Wow, that was actually, you've never made that call before. (laughs) (laughs) I made 50 of them yesterday. Are you trying to batch these into the month that they closed? Do you actually try to call on the actual day? I actually try to batch them in the month. 
I think one of the things that really has helped me is my time management. And what I try to do is the first Thursday or second Thursday, depending on my schedule, I will make my phone calls for that month. And typically I will have anywhere from 50 to 100 calls to make on that particular month to the people. And if I can't bang out all those calls, then I will, uh, I'll switch that to the next Thursday. So my Thursday schedule in the afternoon is light because I know I'll be making those phone calls the first Thursday or second Thursday of that month. How long does it take you to make the 50 to 100 calls? Well, yesterday I had 80 calls to make, and I only made 50 of them. I mean, it took me a good two and a half to thir- uh, three hours to do that. And that's because sometimes you're getting a voicemail, sometimes you're chatting. But overall, it's taken about three hours to make 50 dials. Yes. And again, real quick, in, in that anniversary call, I did notice that you did ask for the business, and that seems to be going off fine. There's, there's no resistance when you ask for business? Not at all. And these, a lot of times we'll volunteer it. Like some of the calls yesterday, oh, you're the only one we would ever use. And again, we always give your name out. And I just appreciate, I just thank them again for doing that. Let's talk now about these every other month postcards that you're sending out with a giveaway. Tell us more about that. Well, we'll do the same type of postcard we send to our farm. It's a nice uh, high-end postcard, the glossy stock. And uh, we'll take the picture of the giveaway and uh, we'll just say uh, there's a drawing in 45 days. You have to have it back by a certain deadline. They can email us with their information or they can uh, mail in. And we have a little area where they can fill their name, address, phone number, and email address and send it back to us. And then uh, we do a drawing, and then I give them a call. Whoever wins, meet them at the office and present the gift to them. We'll take a picture of me presenting the gift. We will post that on our Facebook page that we did have a winner from the past month. But we do that every other month. Nice social proof. Yes. Have you ever put a picture of the prior months or prior contest winner on the new contest postcard? We have not. That sounds like a great idea. I'm actually writing that down right now, and we may implement that. <laughs> Just came to me. Masterminding. Are you sending out this postcard to all 1,500 people? Yes. How many responses do you think you're getting back each 60 days? I would say on average probably around 300, give or take. That's great. That's like a 20% return. Yeah, we have, we have a good response. And it depends on the type of giveaway. It really depends on the type of giveaway. Are you seeing the same people coming in each time, or are you getting a different group each time? We have some of the regulars, but then you'll see, again, it's interesting, the type of giveaway you have. You'll see uh, interest from other parties than others out there. Tell us some of the things you've been giving away over the last year. Again, we're close to Hershey, Pennsylvania, so we give out Hershey tickets. We sent out, uh, gave away an iPod, gift certificates to restaurants. We've given away the Barnes & Noble Nook. We have done a digital camera. We try to stay within $200, $300 a budget per gift. On that giveaway card, any other call of action other than to enter the contest? We'll promote our website and we'll say if you're thinking of purchasing a home or want to stay in touch with the Real Estate Market Visitor, our website. I think we, we just started that value website through RealPro. 
So we'll be adding that also, asking them if they want to know the value of their property. Are you making any other type of contacts with your past clients and sphere of influence? No, the only other contact is the following year after settlement, we will send out the previous year's HUD-1, and uh, we process that as settlement. So when January 15th comes along the following year, we just have to put a stamp on those letters and send them out. And the reason you're doing that is to help people with their taxes? Yep, and just staying in touch with them gives us another reason because, again, I usually will give them a call that following year and just say, by the way, did you receive that uh, statement? Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Looks to me like you're making about eight contacts a year, two phone calls and six postcards. Yep, and if they're married, three phone calls. So I'm leaving a message to the wife and the husband for their birthdays and then their anniversary date for the settlement. The results of that, if I again added up your referrals, past clients, sphere of influence, it looked to me like that was about a third of your business, say, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 closings. Does that sound about right? Yep. And the sad thing about this is when I first got into business and from 1990 to 1995, I never followed up with anyone. And then finally I got organized and had a staff to assist me and put systems in place. And we've been doing this faithfully since 1995. But unfortunately, the first five years, we did not do anything like this. I think a lot of people have made that mistake Number one, what made you decide to start talking to your past clients? And number two, how did you deal with the fact that you hadn't dealt with those people in five years? Just networking with other realtors throughout the country and going to different events and hearing how successful they were, we knew we needed to have systems, and we just didn't have those systems in place to be consistent with that message to our past clients. And we were just brutally honest with them. Uh, with the phone calls, we just followed up with them and said, you know what, we haven't been in touch for a while. We apologize. We really pride ourselves with customer service, and we would like to continue staying in touch. And do you have any general questions or needs or know someone that does? And, and then we just put them in our action plan and continued staying in touch. Is there any other advice you could give to an agent who's thinking about going out and starting a campaign with their past clients and sphere of influence? I would do it sooner than later. As I mentioned, I wish I would have done that earlier. And um, another thing we do also is we stay in touch with what we call the orphans. And that is if I have a listing and another agent from another company brings the buyer and we feel that agent will not stay in touch after the fact with that client, we will put them in as a past client and stay in touch with them just as much as we have with uh, our present clients. How do you make that determination? How are you deciding whether the other side is going to stay in touch or not? Are you just sending it out to all the other co-op sides, or how are you making the selection? Just a gut call. If the realtor I really respect and I know they have systems in place, I will not send it to their client. But if it's a realtor I know that's probably not going to stay in the business long and their follow-up skills were poor throughout the, the transaction, that's when I will, uh, we have that on a checklist at the settlement. So I'm just filling that information out for my staff to implement. Craig, how do you set expectations for your clients? 
Well, Mike, I learned from the past that if you can set the expectations up front, you're going to have much happier clients. And uh, I have a B list I call the bitch list, <laughs> meaning every gripe a client's going to have, I'm going to share with that with them up front. Uh, it's a legal size paper, and I add to it monthly when there's a new one. And I'll explain to the clients how the showing process will take place, and I'll warn them that lights are going to be left on. Once in a while, a door may be unlocked. They may not leave a business card. I'll just share with them any future disappointments they might have from past experiences. Then I'll also prepare them on this B list about pricing and sharing with them every 30 days we're going to reevaluate their pricing. And I'll share with them some of their objections they're going to share with me about the pricing. For example, no one made me an offer. Why should I reduce my price if, it's, uh, if I should reduce my price when they make an offer? Or they'll say, in the feedback, no one said it was overpriced. So I'll prepare them for that so when it's time to reposition their home in the marketplace, they know that the objections they're going to share, I share that with them up front. And that has just made the whole process so much smoother, and you get more customer satisfaction by setting those expectations up front. So you're doing that at a listing appointment as an example. Are you actually walking through each line item with the seller? Yes, I have a checklist, and I go line item by line item, and then I leave behind with them a letter, everything we just discussed, and I'll write on the top of that letter, read. And so, again, I don't expect them to remember everything I shared with them, but I'll refer to that letter if any of those items come up again. Basically, it sounds like to me what you've done is you've taken common objections that you've heard, you've outlined them, and you've presented them before they become objections. Yes. And I do that again when they go under contract. Any objections they're going to have while we're under contract, items like that. So you're preparing them ahead of time. We're preparing them ahead of time. Which is creating better service for them and a smoother transaction, a smoother closing for you. And we want raving fans, and that helps us with our raving fans. And then we also do pre-listing, pre-inspections, inspections prior to the listing going up. That has helped us. Do you send out a pre-listing package? I do. We'll have the courier deliver the pre-listing package ahead of time. And then um, when I'm at the listing appointment, one of the items we'll do is I'll recommend to the seller to have the home inspected up front. And here's my dialogue I share with them, Mike, on the home inspection prior to going on the market. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, when a buyer's interested in the home and they're ready to make you an offer, they are very rational people at that time. They're very excited that you're going to be accepting their offer. But after you accept their offer, the experts come out of the woodwork, meaning family members, neighbors, coworkers will be telling them what mistakes they have made. They, they paid too much for the property. Why did they pick that home in that part of town? Why did they buy that age of a home? Now the buyer is paranoid, and they go through what we call buyer's remorse. Well, they have two weeks to do inspections in our marketplace. During those inspections, now the buyers are going through buyer's remorse, and now they're concerned they made the wrong decision. Now they get the home inspected, and if it's a overzealous inspector, they come back with a list of demands, and they may ask for five dollars to $10,000 credits towards the inspections. Well, Mr. and Mrs. So, you're going to be upset that they're asking for these inspections, and they're not being rational, and they may void the contract, or you're going to be very upset that you have to give another five dollars to $10,000. But if you get the home inspected up front, 
and you present that inspection to the buyer before they write an offer, keep in mind when I said they are rational up front. I go to their realtor or go to the buyer and say, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, the seller took the initiative to have the home inspected and they'd like you to have a copy. Again, they're rational people at that point in time. They're going to look through that inspection and those inspections are not going to be major concerns to them up front. And from our experience, half those buyers will waive their inspections. If we have that opportunity to have half the buyers waive their inspections up front, this process is going to be so much smoother for you. Can you see that benefit, Mr. and Mrs. Seller? That's my dialogue with the inspections. It has just helped. 75% of our sellers will do the home inspections, and that just has, has saved us so much time. How much is that pre-inspection costing? $300. That does not include radon. That does not include termite. It's just a basic home inspection. And then I assume that oftentimes there are issues that pop up, major and minor. How do you decide what work you will or won't do before you put it on the market? If it's a safety concern, I will recommend the seller to correct it. But if it's, it's not a safety issue, a lot of times I don't want them to correct it. I will have them go out and get estimates. So when the buyer does look at the report and they have concerns and they try to negotiate with us on the repairs, we know that ahead of time what it's going to cost our buyer instead of going in blindly and not having the home inspection done. What was interesting to me is you said that half the buyers are waiving their inspection. Yeah, when we give them that inspection up front, half of them with having that inspection up front will waive their inspections. That's amazing. So they're just uh, they're making their decision based on the inspection report that you hand them, and they're either going to ask for something to be done or they're just going to pass whatever the normal negotiation would be. However, you're sidestepping the inspection itself. Yeah, and then the other half that want to do inspections up front, if we're in the negotiations and my buyer goes lower than they wanted to, our last counter, we'll go back and say, okay, we'll come down to this price, but we want you to waive that inspection. And I would say probably 25% of those buyers will. When we're, we're saying, hey, we don't want to be nickel and dime no more, we will be willing to do this, but you have to waive your inspection. So they actually change it from electing it and they waive it now. So it's speeding up your closing process. Yeah, it's just, again, customer satisfaction is so important. And we all know if the seller really gets nitpicked on the inspection, sometimes they shoot the messenger. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I think we should be psychologists, not realtors. Oh, it's all about timing and presenting it. And it's just the the pre-inspections has just been a lifesaver for us for the last five years. It just has made our job so much I shouldn't say easier, it just makes it so much smoother for our, our clients. Are you doing your listing presentation at the home or in your office? I'm doing at the home. If it's a two-step appointment, they come into the office for the second appointment. How often are you doing a two-step versus a one-step? I would say it's probably 50-50. Why would there be a difference? Why would you go to a two-step versus the one-step? It's happening half the time. What's causing that to occur? Depends on the seller's motivation, if they're interviewing multiple realtors, where they're at at this point. We meet with a lot of sellers, and they're not ready in the very beginning. They may be holding off for another three to six months. When you determine that they're not ready to to sign right there at the house, and you decide it's going to be a two-step process, do you reduce the amount of information that you provide at the home and therefore require them to come into the office to get it? No, we'll still provide the same information. 
Something we did start doing is a pocket listing that has been very beneficial to us here the last couple of years where we go out to a seller and they're not ready to list yet, but they're ready to list within the next two to three months. We do share with the seller that what we can do is list the home now and they ask for the home not to be in the multiple listing service. So we do uh, market their property to the realtors in the MLS system, but we do it by email and share with them that this property is coming on the market in the near future. And if you'd like to get in prior, we can make arrangements with the seller to get in earlier. So it's like a trial period for us. And that's been very beneficial to our homeowners. When we get a buyer during that period of time, it helps us in the negotiations. Typically, we get full price offers during the pocket listing period. Hey, I like the word you use, trial listing. A pocket listing to me is you're kind of keeping it secret from all the other agents. You're trying to sell it yourself, but you're actually exposing it to the other agents. You're just not making it public knowledge through the MLS. Is that correct? Correct. We always tell our sellers, if you're not ready to put on the market, or let's say in the winter season, and you want to take advantage of the springtime, the days on market is three dreaded words. You don't want that DOM to be triple digits. So we can do a trial. I, I like what you just said, Mike. I think I'm going to change my terminology there and use this trial because we do expose it to the entire multiple listing service because we don't care who brings the buyer in. But if you can share with the buyer, if they make an offer on our property during that trial period, it's really hard for the seller to take anything less because they didn't have the opportunity to open it up to the rest of the market. And you share that with the buyer, majority of the time the buyers will pay the full price. Teaser listing, trial list. I like the idea. That's masterminding. That's great. I think we're going to change that because once in a while we'll be accused by someone saying, well, you're just trying to do it yourself. And, and far from the truth, what we're trying to do is create urgency among the buyers to purchase our listing. You've mentioned your team a few times. Could you describe your team to us? What we're looking for is the positions by title, and uh, also if you could tell us the tasks that each position is responsible for. Well, uh, Danielle's my contract manager slash office manager, and uh, she's actually a daughter of my senior buyer specialist. She started working with us in high school and throughout college and then became full-time, so she's been with me over 10 years now. And again, she does the contract management, and then she also is the office manager. I have Michelle. She's my listing manager, and she oversees all my listings. She will go out and take photos, measurements of the properties, upload them onto the websites, prepare the brochures, and help me stay in touch with the clients and uh, help me follow up when presenting contracts with those clients if I'm not available. She'll docu-sign the contract or meet with the clients if I can't. Then uh, we have a new position as our lead coordinator slash admin assistant, Laura, and she just started with us beginning in uh, January, where um, a quarter of her day is just admin tasks, and another three quarters is following up with the Boomtown leads that come in. Uh, that's my staff. And then I have four buyer specialists. Jim is my senior buyer specialist. He's been with me since 1996. And... Uh, he helps me manage the other buyer specialists. So he's still actively selling with his wife, but he also manages the new agents or the new buyer specialists that come in. And the veteran buyer specialists, he, he still uh, trains and assists. And then his wife, Kim, has been with me oh, probably 
close over seven years, and she's a buyer specialist. I have uh, Sarah. She's been with me close to three years, and she's my buyer specialist. And then we just hired Jim and Kim's son-in-law. He's a new buyer specialist, been with us less than six months. And then um, I have a listing partner that was a buyer specialist for us. His name is Keith. He's been with us now over three years, and he's starting to convert from the buyer specialist into a listing partner. And then I have my son that's starting out, and I'm training him to be an agent, to be working with sellers and buyers. And then I have a courier. The courier works part-time and delivers packages, puts up signs, items like that. You mentioned, I think it was Laura, who's a lead coordinator slash admin. A quarter of her time is admin, but three quarters of her time is this lead coordinator position. What does that mean? What exactly is she doing with the leads? Well, we just started this in January where whenever there is a Boomtown lead that comes in, she's making the first contact with them, and she's staying in touch with those leads. She stays in touch with them until they're ready to go out to look at homes or they're ready to ask enough questions that we think an agent should be taking that over. She's a licensed realtor, but she's not actively selling. It will be our agents that will take that over when they're ready. So she's trying to stay in touch with them and warm them up until they're ready to be talking to an agent or ready to start looking at homes and purchase a property. So prior to January, the buyer agents were following up with all the leads? Yes. And now you've put this person in position as the lead coordinator to make the first contact and maybe a few follow-ups. Why did you make that change? The agents were being overwhelmed. Our buyer's agents are selling approximately 40 homes a year each. So it's just, they just have so much time, and they were starting to get burned out, and they weren't able to return the calls on a timely manner as they wanted to. So we knew we needed to make a change, and, uh, and other successful realtors throughout the country have went that route, and we finally went that route ourselves. And it's kind of early to tell whether it's working, but it's been a month, month and a half. Any initial feedback? We're very excited. She's doing a super job. We really believe with the amount of contact she's making already versus what we were making, it's, it's going to be a, a great system that we implemented. How many hours is she spending per week and how many contacts do you think she's been able to make? We're still working on that with those metrics. We don't have them yet. Um, we should have that by the end of the month. So I don't have those numbers exactly. She does work 8 to 5. She will make some calls in the evenings. That's not mandatory and weekends. Uh, but again, she has a salary plus a bonus if she uh, gets one of these buyers to purchase a property. She's licensed, so do you pay her? It's, it's like a commissioner referral. Yes. you mind if I ask what, the, what percentage you're paying out on that referral? We're paying her $100 for every closed transaction. So it's a flat fee. Yeah. Craig, tell me about your, your listing partner. Why did you start working with the listing partner, and what tasks are they doing? Well, I started working with a listing partner because I, I wanted to have balance. It just I didn't want to go on all the listing appointments. And uh, Keith has been with me, like I said, over three years as a buyer specialist. I saw his work ethic. I saw how he handled his clients. I felt very comfortable with him coming into that role. We hired Matt Wagner recently, a radio expert, to help us get more sour leads for my listing partner. We just started that within the last four weeks, and so far we've been very happy with the amount of leads that came in a short period of time. 
So my listing partner will be handling majority of those leads so I can focus on my farm area and he'll take more of the listings outside the farm area. Ah, so that was going to be my question. You are still taking listings, is that correct? Yes, I am. And you're focused on your farm listings and your listing partner is taking the overflow or listings that are occurring outside the farm. Yeah, my goal this year is to settle 100 listings on my own and for him to be settling over 60 uh, listing closings himself. So we're hoping we'll do over 160 seller sides this year. How does somebody compensate a listing partner? I pay him 25% of the gross commission on any seller lead that he takes from start to finish. Craig, you mentioned that you're starting to advertise on the radio. It's pretty fresh. It's pretty new. So we really don't have much of a feedback from it yet, a track record. However, you said you're getting a lot of leads. What type of message are you advertising out on the radio right now? Well, Matt recommended me in my area to go with the local country station. So the host there is the one promoting me. And Matt asked for some success stories. So uh, we shared those success stories. And this uh, personality that they have here on the country station, he's pretty uh, funny. So he'll uh, put a funny message together and just say, hey, I just spoke to Craig the other day, and here's what happened. And they'll tie in the success story saying hey, this one home was on the market for 130 days with this one realtor didn't sell. Craig took it over and sold for 277000 and it sold in three days. Or Craig had competing agreements on this one property, and they got $1,000 above price. Uh, so he'll give them some success stories. Plus, we do offer the guarantee buyback so and the easy exit program, so he'll blend that into the, the radio ad. What do you look for in a team member when you're doing your hiring? That's a very good question. We have changed that philosophy uh, quite a bit recently. I was one of those people who was quick to hire, and I went to this leadership conference back in October, and they really helped us focus on the hiring process to have the employee match with our core values and our philosophy and our culture. So when we hired Laura here, the past a month or two, it took us a good two to three months to find that person. And uh, we've just been very happy with those results. And again, we'll be more intentional here in the future. So you're looking for someone who matches your culture and values? Yes. How would you define your culture and values? Well, our culture is we're, we're driven by goals, personally and professionally. And um, I had some Employees in the past, they weren't goal-minded. They did not want to share personal goals plus their business goals. And, again, we made that very upfront that we're very goal-oriented. We're very customer-driven. We want to have raving fans. That's part of our mission statement that we want to have raving fans. Part of our one of our core values is communication. We want to make sure they are in line with our our definition of communication where Uh, We pride ourselves to return calls promptly. We pride ourselves to be staying in touch with our clients and to follow those core values. Do you prefer to hire experienced or inexperienced agents? We've done both. I would say we're 50-50 on both. So we'll uh, hire people that have experience, and we will hire people that do not have experience. Uh, It's a little bit more time-consuming training that person that does not have experience, but they don't have bad habits either. Is everyone licensed on the team? Yes, everyone's licensed, other than the courier. 
Very good. So all the staff is licensed as well? Yes. Well, Craig, you've got all these people running around in different directions. People are going to ask the question, are you profitable? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Our uh, expense level is 40%, so 60% is profit. Uh, Like, I'm with Prudential, so my gross commissions are after Prudential gets paid and after my buyer's agents get paid. So what's left over is my gross commission. So that of that gross commission is 60% of that is profit. Craig, for time management, you seem to have a, a pretty good grasp of controlling your time. How are you doing that? I start out with a perfect day. And what I will do is I'll mark a perfect day for two weeks in pencil in my day timer. Uh, so I will block out appointments. So for example... Um, I'll give you an example of a day on Monday, not Monday, because Monday's my main phone calls, but let's say Tuesday. My perfect day for like on a Tuesday, I'll come in the office around um, quarter of nine, nine o'clock, and I'll check email and return miscellaneous phone calls from nine to nine thirty. And nine thirty to ten o'clock, I'll do some minor administrative items, and then I will meet with my staff once a day. And my perfect day, I have them scheduled from ten to ten forty-five. And each staff member will come in. I'll have a folder for each of them. And I'll review anything I delegated to them the day before. And anything they need to share with me, I'll put in that folder or I need to do back. So I'm not interrupting them. I used to have staff that used to be always upset because in the middle of the day, I'd always interrupt them when they're doing their work. So I learned that if I keep a folder next to me with their name on it, if I think of something to give to them and it can wait the next day, I just put in that folder. So that next day, we meet, I review that. 10.45 to 11, we do a team huddle. 11 to 12, I return phone calls. 12 to 1.30, lunch. And then I have a 2, 2.30 appointment, and then I have a 4 or 4.30 appointment, and then my day's over. And that's an example of one day. When I make my phone calls, for example, Mondays, I don't have no appointments from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. I'm strictly making follow-up phone calls from the previous week. So I plan out my schedule two weeks in advance. So I call it my perfect day. How disciplined are you at staying on that perfect day? If I can accomplish 60 to 70% of my perfect day, I feel I've been successful. So there are distractions, emergencies, things that pull you away. Yes, but that's why I have it in pencil. But it's very nice when a client calls in and they want to get together and you look over your schedule and say, well, I have an opening at 2 o'clock on Thursday or have a 4 o'clock on Friday, which one would be best for you? You go right there. You're, you're controlling your week. You're picking and choosing just like your doctor does. Yes. The tip about meeting your staff once a day in the morning and having that folder has just helped us so much. Yeah, that's huge. And you're not doing it by email, which bunches up. You're, you're just doing it at a specific time. It's very focused. They know what's going on, so they're not answering the phone. They're not on the phone when you're trying to talk with them. Everybody knows what's happening, and that's happening daily. Yes, and let's say they shoot me an email, and I don't want to go into detail with the email. I'll just put it in their folder in my Outlook. So when I meet with them, I'm pulling up my physical folder, plus I'm going in my Outlook and looking at their email folder, too, and going over the past emails they shared with me. You also mentioned that your scheduler is uh, manual. It's written out. It's not on the computer. Have you tried doing it on the computer? I do on the computer for follow-up phone calls only. I always like to carry my schedule around manually. 
but on the the computer and agent office, I'm very disciplined with that with follow up phone calls. Uh, so when I come in, I know which phone calls I'm making for that day. Craig, do you track your numbers? Yes, I do. Which numbers are the most important for you to track? The most important one is called the net income. I want to make sure I'm, <laughs> I'm profitable. But to backtrack, I mean, we're looking for every time someone calls in, we're always asking, where did you hear about us? We really want to know that and when we put them in our database, there's a spot there for a source. And it cannot go in that database without a source. That's very, very important for us because we're looking at the amount of money we're investing in that piece of marketing. We want to make sure we're getting a return. When do you do the review to find out if that marketing was successful? Is that done once a year or per quarter? How often? I'm embarrassed to say this. It is it has been done once a year. Now, recently, I've been getting coached where I'm trying to be now be more on that, be more consistent with tracking my numbers on a monthly basis. Craig, what drives you? What drives me? Um, I love spending time with my family. I love balance. And uh, that's the reason I have my staff. My staff does a great job allowing me to have balance. My family is very important to me. And my priorities are God, family, friends. And again, my staff, they're considered family and friends. I'm very fortunate, the staff I have, I wouldn't be here without them. It's just having life balance and spending a precious time with my family. And you're bringing your son into the business. What would you like to see happen for him? I want him to... That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I don't want him to feel pressured, and I don't want him to judge his success based on my success. I just want him to be able to have his own business and run it the way he feels more comfortable with it. I'll teach him the basics, but I want him to uh, have his own identity. So do you see him branching out and creating his own team? I do not see him branching out, but I do want him to learn the basics so he understands and appreciates what uh, the team is. Again, I'm not bringing him on as a buyer specialist. I'm bringing him as as an independent agent under the team where he's going to be learning in the very beginning how to prospect through open houses, expires for sale by owners. After he develops a while, we'll then bring him on as a buyer's agent, but I want him to learn the basics like I did. Craig, why are you successful? I have a good work ethic. I care about people. I think it comes down to customer service. I really, uh, communication, I said, is a core value of ours, and what I mean by that is when someone calls me, I'm going to return the call the same day. If I had a conversation, we're looking to get some answers. If I don't have the answers, I'm going to return their call the same day and sh- just share with them. I don't have that answer, but here's an update what's happening. That's very, very important to us. And I think with that communication and the customer satisfaction, you just get that repeat business. If you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? First thing I would tell them to do is to treat like a business, to set a business plan, set a budget where they're willing to invest money into the business. I would hire a part-time assistant. I'm very focused on dollar productive activity. Their main mission should be, their main focus should be prospecting for sale by owners, expireds. They should be attending those open houses. 
They should not be the ones entering this information in the database. That should be delegated to someone else. They shouldn't be writing the letters. That should be someone else. Their main goal is to be prospecting, listing, selling, and going to settlement. And just focus on that. And when they earn enough money, then they can expand out to start creating a farm or focusing on their sphere of influence with mailings. But again, this is such an inexpensive business, again, in the very beginning, if they're willing to work the basics. Craig, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Mike, I think it's very valuable. I copy from everyone. started back in the years with Star Power with Howard Britton and then found you here with your interviews. And again, everything I do, I learn from someone else. I may tweak it and implement it a little differently, but I copied everything. As I mentioned, I shadowed Alan Dom. I just heard a variety of different realtors throughout the country. And what I found amazing, these realtors are so willing to share. And it's just, it's just such a gift. And again, it's just these interviews, I can't believe people wouldn't take advantage of this. This is I would not be a $50 million producer. I'd probably be a still struggling 5 to $10 million producer without listening to these type of interviews. Craig, I've gotten to the end of my questions for today. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't addressed yet? I guess I'll just share this. We were talking about these type of interviews. I feel if you're blessed to have so many people give to you, I think it's our responsibility to give to others. And I, even, even in your own marketplace, I offer to sit down with realtors in our marketplace just for them to pick my brain and share with them what we are doing. It's not a secret, and there's enough business to go around to everyone. And again, if people have shared with you, I feel you should be sharing with others to help them out in the industry also. Spread the word. Yeah, and you'll, you'll receive tenfold. Well, Craig, it pays to give back, and you gave a lot. You leverage your efforts with marketing, technology, systems, and people. You track your numbers to learn what works and what doesn't. You treat your team like family and friends. You are proud of your son and want him to develop at his own speed. You're a great role model. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to two agents who formed a partnership and sold 194 homes last year. Find out who they are on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. 
That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.